Everybody dies, don't they? Everybody come back, don't they? Isn't that so? You tried to get into the locked room today, didn't you? You tried. How do the dead come back, Mother? What's the secret? The old portrait by Hume Nesbit. Old-fashioned frames are a hobby of mine. I'm always on the prowl amongst the frames and dealers and curiosities for something quaint and unique in picture frames. I don't care much for what's inside them. For being a painter, it is my fancy to get the frames first and then paint a picture which I think suits their probable history and design. In this way, I get some curious and I think also some original ideas. One day in December, about a week before Christmas, I picked up a fine but dilapidated specimen of wood carving in a shop near Soho. The gilding had been worn nearly away and three of the corners broken off, yet, as there was one of the corners still left, I hoped to be able to repair the others from it. As for the canvas inside this frame, it was so smothered with dirt and time stains that I could only distinguish it had been a very badly painted likeness of some sort, of some commonplace person, daubed in by a poor pot-boiling painter to fill the second-hand frame, which his patron may have picked up cheaply, as I had done after him. But, as the frame was all right, I took the spoiled canvas along with it, thinking it might come in handy. For the next few days my hands were full of work of one kind and another, so that it was only on Christmas Eve that I found myself at liberty to examine my purchase which had been lying with its face to the wall since I had brought it to my studio. Having nothing to do on this night and not in the mood to go out, I got my picture and frame from the corner and laying them upon the table with a sponge, basin of water and some soap, I began to wash so that I might see them the better. They were in a terrible mess, and I think I used the best part of a packet of soap powder and had to change the water about a dozen times before the pattern began to show up on the frame, and the portrait within it asserted its awful crudeness vile drawing and intense vulgarity. It was a bloated, piggish visage of a publican, clearly, with a plentiful supply of jewellery displayed, as is usual with such masterpieces, where the features are not considered of so much importance as a strict fidelity in the depicting of such articles as watchguard and seals, fingerings and breastpins. These were all there, as natural and hard as reality." The frame delighted me, and the picture satisfied me that I had not cheated the dealer with my price, and I was looking at the monstrosity as the gaslight beat full upon it, and wondering how the owner could be pleased with himself as thus depicted, when something about the background attracted my attention. A slight marking underneath the thin coating, as if the portrait had been painted over some other subject. It was not much, certainly, yet enough to make me rush over to my cupboard, where I kept my spirits of wine and turpentine, with which, and a plentiful supply of rags, I began to demolish the publican ruthlessly in the vague hope that I might find something worth looking at underneath. A slow process that was, as well as a delicate one, so that it was close upon midnight before the gold cable rings and vermilion visage disappeared, and another picture loomed up before me. Then, giving it the final wash over, I wiped it dry, and set it in a good light at my easel, while I filled and lit my pipe and then sat down to look at it. What had I liberated from that vile prison of crude paint? For I did not require to set it up to know that this bungler of the brush had covered and defiled a work as far beyond his comprehension as the clouds are from the caterpillar. 
The bust and head of a young woman of uncertain age merged with a gloom of rich accessories, painted as only a master hand can paint, who is above asserting his knowledge, and who has learned to cover his technique. It was as perfect and natural in sombre yet quiet dignity as if it had come from the brush of Maroni. The face and neck perfectly colourless in their pallid whiteness, and the shadows so artfully managed that they could not be seen, and for this quality would have delighted the strong-minded Queen Bess. At first, as I looked, I saw in the centre of a vague darkness a dim patch of grey gloom that drifted into the shadow. Then the greyness appeared to grow lighter as I sat from it, and I leaned back in my chair until the features stole out softly and became clear and definite, while the figure stood out from the background as if tangible, although, having washed it, I knew that it had been smoothly painted. An intent face, with delicate nose, well-shaped, although bloodless, lips and eyes like dark caverns without a spark of light in them, the hair loosely about the head and oval cheeks, massive, silky-textured, jet-black and lustreless, which hid the upper portion of her brow with the ears and fell in straight, indefinite waves over the left breast, leaving the right portion of the transparent neck exposed. The dress and background were symphonies of ebony, yet full of subtle colouring and masterly feeling, a dress of rich brocaded velvet with a background that represented vast receding space, wondrously suggestive and awe-inspiring. I noticed that the pallid lips were parted slightly and showed a glimpse of the upper front teeth, which added to the intent expression of the face, a short upper lip which curled upward, with the underlip full and sensuous, or rather, if colour had been in it, would have been so. It was an eerie-looking face that I had resurrected on this midnight hour of Christmas Eve, in its passive pallidity, it looked as if the blood had been drained from the body, and that I was gazing upon an open-eyed corpse. The frame also I noticed for the first time in its details appeared to have been designed with the intention of carrying out the idea of life in death. What had before looked like scrollwork of flowers and fruit were loathsome snake-like worms twined amongst charnel-house bones, which they half covered in a decorative fashion a hideous design in spite of its exquisite workmanship. That made me shudder and wish that I had left the cleaning to be done by daylight. I am not at all of a nervous temperament, and would have laughed had anyone told me that I was afraid, and yet, as I sat here alone, with that portrait opposite to me in this solitary studio, away from all human contact, for none of the other studios were tenanted on this night, and the janitor had gone on his holiday, I wished that I had spent my evening in a more congenial manner, for, in spite of a good fire in the stove and the brilliant gas, that intent face and those haunting eyes were exercising a strange influence upon me. I heard the clocks from the different steeples chime out the last hour of the day, one after the other like echoes taking up the refrain and dying away in the distance, and still I sat spellbound, looking at that weird picture with my neglected pipe in my hand, and a strange lassitude creeping over me. It was the eyes which fixed me now with the unfathomable depths and absorbing intensity. They gave out no light, but seemed to draw my soul into them, and with it my life and strength as I lay inert before them, until overpowered, I lost consciousness and dreamt. 
I thought that the frame was still on the easel with the canvas, but the woman had stepped from them and was approaching me with a floating motion, leaving behind her a vault filled with coffins, some of them shut down, while others lay or stood upright and open, showing the grisly contents in their decaying and stained cerements. I could only see her head and shoulders with the sombre drapery of the upper portion and the inky wealth of hair hanging around. She was with me now, that pallid face touching my face and those cold, bloodless lips glued to mine with a close lingering kiss, while the soft black hair covered me like a cloud and thrilled me through and through with a delicious thrill that, whilst it made me grow faint, intoxicated me with delight. As I breathed, she seemed to absorb it quickly into herself, giving me back nothing, getting stronger as I was becoming weaker, while the warmth of my contact passed into her and made her palpitate with vitality. And all at once the horror of approaching death seized upon me, and with a frantic effort I flung her from me and started up from my chair, dazed for a moment and uncertain where I was. Then consciousness returned, and I looked around wildly. The gas was still blazing brightly, while the fire burned ruddy in the stove. By the timepiece on the mantel I could see that it was half-past twelve. The picture and the frame were still on the easel, only as I looked at them the portrait had changed. A hectic flush was on the cheeks while the eyes glittered with life and the sensuous lips were red and ripe-looking with a drop of blood still upon the nether one. In a frenzy of horror, I seized my scraping knife and slashed out the vampire picture. Then, tearing the mutilated fragments out, I crammed them into my stove and watched them frizzle with savage delight. I have that frame still, but I have not yet had courage to paint a suitable subject for it. Everybody dies, don't they? Everybody dies, don't they? Isn't that so? You tried to get into the locked drawer today, didn't you? You How do the dead come back, Mother? What's the secret? Hume Nisbet was a Scottish novelist and artist. He was born in Stirling in Scotland and was a gifted artist from his early days. He received artistic training. He then went to Australia and spent a lot of time in Australia, travelling around in New Zealand, and he wrote um, a number of novels set there. He came back to London and then back to his native Scotland, where he was a Master of Arts at the Watt Institution School of Art in Edinburgh, which is interesting because my grandfather went to that, that institution many years ago. He was famous for his horror stories, of which this is one. It is a Christmas horror story. It's set on Christmas Eve, just as the day is turning. In fact, it ends at half past midnight, so it's technically Christmas Day, which is why it is being released on Christmas Day for the delight of the listeners of the Classic Ghost Stories podcast. There you go. Um, it, uh, it's a very short story. I never know... If people like short stories, they don't seem to listen to them much, but there's something to be said for a quick listen. And this, I think, is a delightful little story. It's um, very short, 
but it's unusual and it's different. It it has almost the, the gothic in this isn't the the gothic object in this isn't the castle where the where the vampire lives. It's the the picture frame, which is you know the frame itself is a writhing mess of worms celebrating death in life, life in death, and uh, I think it's a really clever little piece. Um, it's unusual. It's different. It's very vivid. His description's good. He clearly knows what he's talking about as an artist. Um, and so he brings the expertise when he's telling us the story. And then the f- the idea that the picture um, comes to life and steals his vitality. The picture, the image in the picture is a vampire. It is not unique, but it's very nicely done. And um, I enjoyed the story very much. I'm going to do another short one next. You may be wondering why I didn't do the Christmas Carol for Christmas. Well, the reason for that is, oh, look at how long it is. It's too long. And I have some misgivings now. After doing Carmilla, which was three episodes, and Christmas Carol's 28,000 words, a similar length to Carmilla, it'd probably be three episodes, about three hours in total. And um, I'm not sure people have the interest in that. And I think people who listen to this podcast actually like the one-off stories. So here you go. This is one for Christmas Day. I hope you're having a lovely time if you're listening to it on Christmas. And in fact, I hope you're having a lovely time if you listen to it anywhere. Check out the show notes. If you want to give me a coffee, that's cool. That sounds much nicer, doesn't it? Anyway, you all take care and enjoy your Christmas break. I'm looking to do a New Year ghost story when I find one. I don't know what that is yet, but I'll keep looking and hopefully we'll have something up on New Year's Eve. That may be the next time I broadcast anything, although I do have a very another very short one in mind. If I find time, I'll slip that in. Okay, take care. See you soon. Bye.